This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. We're starting in Parsh Vayichi, Parak Memtes Pasake. This goes through the brachos that Yaakov Inu gave over to the Shratim. And it starts off, Shimon Velevi Achim. Shimon and Levi are brothers. Clay Hamas Mechero Sehem. What they deal with, and their, their weapons of choice, are violence. That's what they go through, what they chose for themselves. I'm skipping Pasuk Vav for now, because that's not what we're going to concentrate on this week. Here we go. Arur Apam Kioz. Said Yaakovinu, cursed is their anger that it is very strong. The Evrasam and their anger, another word for, for anger. Ki because of how harsh it is. I will split them up among Yaakov and I will scatter them among Bnei Yisrael. Now, the Ibn Ezra says, very simply to start off, there are two ways you can look at this Pasuk. You could say it was a tefillah. I'm davening, says Yaakov, that their anger shouldn't be successful. Since bracha only comes when there's no klala, when there's no curses, the only way to get this bracha is if you get rid of this anger. So Yaakov's davening, HaKadosh Baruch please allow them to get rid of their anger. That's one way of looking at it. Or it was a bit of nevuah. He said their anger would eventually go away. They would learn from the incident of Shechem and from the incident of selling Yosef Atzadik that anger is bad. And when they did it, it caused terrible things for them. And therefore, they would never do something like this ever again. So either it was a tefillah or a nevuah that it should not apply ever again. Says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, clearly it happened as Yaakov said it would. Shimon never received an actual portion in Eretz Yisrael. He received cities throughout Yehuda and some of the areas that were a little bit up north. But that's it. He didn't get anything more than that. There was no official nakhla that was given over to Shimon. Shevet Levi wasn't given an inheritance at all. Shevet Levi was allowed to dwell in the Are Mikla, the cities of refuge, and they were allowed to take Truma and the different Matanos and things like that, but they never received an actual portion of land. So if you want to define the two Shvatim that are Achalkem Biyakov, Afitzem Yisrael, scattered throughout B'nai Yisrael, maybe not Shimon as much because Shimon really was relegated to the south, but definitely Shevet Levi, without a question. They were scattered throughout. Now the Radak says this wasn't necessarily a good thing for them. The fact that they were scattered everywhere. By Zimri, 24,000 men from Shevet Shimon died. Why? Because they obviously sinned together with, with their Nafsi of the Shevet, Shlumi of Ansur Shadoi. And the 24,000 wives of those 24,000 men married into the other Shvatim. 2,000 into every other Shevet. Obviously, guys, there are 12 Shvatim, but there really are 13. Ephraim and Menashe count is two. Shevet Levi as well. So there's 13. So the other 12 Shvatim took 2,000 each, and that's how Shevet Shimon was scattered everywhere, not through the men, because the men died, through the women. So Shevet Shimon, Shimon is in every Shevet of Klau Yisrael. Thus, it, they lost their collective identity, so to speak. Yeah. So you're saying just the women of Shimon survived, that means... No, 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 there were still many men. There were about 39,000 men, but they lost quite a few. And out of those that were lost, right, the 24,000 men, all of their wives had to marry out. They married into other Shvatim, so they lost a lot of what they stood for, a lot of what they had. Says Redak, that was a bad thing. He adds from the Medrash Rabbah and Sadi Tess. Listen to this Medrash. Anyone who goes door-to-door collecting, anybody, is from Shevet Shimon as they were so poor their entire lives. In addition, there would be teachers throughout Klal Yisrael. They would have to go from one place to the other, never staying in one place in order to teach everyone they could. Similar to Shmuel Anavi, who used to go from place to place to judge. Says the Medrash Rabbah that. That's Shimon. They would travel from place to place as teachers, and not only that, but they also 
went door-to-door collecting, and they were the ones who were that poor going from place to place. It's all Shevet Shimon. Nowadays, by the way, it can't be that that's Shevet Shimon, so do not go up to a Mishalach and tell him that he's from Shevet Shimon, because we lost them. They're gone in the ten tribes that were lost of, of all of Klai Yisrael. So there's no Shevet Shimon left. Maybe there's a few people left. Oh, maybe yeah, the Mishalach. It could be. <laughs> but I doubt it. I think it's really something different. Shevet Levi was giving gifts from everyone. They had to go to the granaries in order to get their gifts. They had to go to the granaries and go up and ask for everything, which is not easy for them to do. Let me tell you, getting your paycheck in the mail or have it automated into your account is very different from having to go to your boss and ask for the check from his hand. Asking for the check from his hand is just annoying. You'd much rather have it somewhere where you can pick it up. It's not as embarrassing as going to somebody and asking specifically for, their, for your check. Rashi brings this as well, that that's what happened, that they would go out and they would try to get everything themselves. That's what Shevet Levi had to do. Now, the Tosefes Bracha, written by Baruch Epstein, asks, why is this necessary? Couldn't they just be teachers in their own town? Would Shimon have to have teachers going throughout all of Klausel, traveling everywhere? You don't need that. Just stay in your own town. Number two, were there no teachers from other Shvatim? I thought the Mechokik Mibain Raglov, Yehuda was filled with teachers and Rabbeim and Klausel. Yisachar, right? Yisachar was Chamor Garim. Yisachar was filled with Chamor Garim. Dom was a Yadin Amo. He's going to be a judge as well. Were there no other teachers in Klausel except for Shevet Shimon? What does that mean? And then he says, wait a second, all poor people are from Shevet Shimon? You mean to tell me that? Every other shevet, there were no poor people. Seriously, that's what you're saying? That's so strange. So he says, for shevet, he suggests that the medrash means many of them were poor. It didn't mean that all of shevet shimon was poor, but many of them were poor, and teachers, but not all of them, and not that, just a majority. For shevet levi, he suggests there were talmidic hachamim that went around helping the amiratzim, and maybe that was true by them as well. Listen, unfortunately, those Talmudic Chachamim that go around, I know you guys are looking at me and saying, Rabbi, you get a huge salary, and I agree with you. This is a tremendous salary, and I'm getting paid very, very well. But it's not that great. I know I'm shocking all of you, right? But your aspirations to be a Rebbe in order to be able to make more money is probably not going to get you where you want to go. Probably not. It's possible. But it's not going to be that way. And that's the shot over here that the Tzavis Bracha says that they just didn't make enough. They didn't do enough because they chose that as their main profession. Not that everybody, but many of them did. That's what happened. The Shach says it's a din with Rachman. Truly, Levi and Shimon were cursed by a Kaddish Baruch, by Yaakov, you know, I should say. And Yaakov said to them that they're going to be poor. But Hashem said they'll be poor with a caveat. They'll be poor, but they'll be chashuv. They'll be rebeim. They'll be teachers. They'll have a chashivus to them. Sure, they're going to be poor, but at least they're getting skar and shemaim for what you're doing. I, I don't know if this is true, and I don't, I, it, it's kind of hard to say this. Let's think for a second. There are many poor people out there, many poor people out there, who unfortunately live very unfortunate lives, and they're still terrible people. Meaning they're poor people, right? And they don't get any schar in this world because they're not living good lives or happy lives or whatsoever. And they're also not getting olamaba because they're stealing or they're grabbing or they're taking things from other people or they're acting like terrible people. There are some poor people that are like that. I'm sorry? The difference between that and rich people Agreed, but they're also poor as opposed to a rich person who at least has something as a schar in, his, in this world. There's something in Olamaza. So in this case, right, we're dealing with poor people who are good people. Granted, they don't get anything in this world, but the next world they're going to be okay. In the next world, they're going to survive. That's the concept that the Shach says. It's din with Rachamim. Yeah, they're going to be poor, but nonetheless, this is going to be for them. The Shach says the wording is interesting. Now, the Ksav Sofer says, I'm sorry, the wording is interesting. Yaakov and Yisrael. We all know Yaakov and Yisrael, right? Yaakov is when they're not doing 
doing so well in Gullus. Yisrael is when they're doing great and they're building upon themselves and making themselves awesome. Achal came be Yaakov, afits him Yisrael. He says, sometimes when Shevet Levi was living during the times of the Beis HaMikdash, that's when they were teachers. In Gullus, Shevet Shimon became teachers. Why is that? Shevet Levi couldn't work when the Beis HaMikdash was around. When the Beis HaMikdash was around, they had to work in the Beis HaMikdash. They had no chance. Every 24 weeks, they had to be in the Beis HaMikdash for a week. And then they sometimes had to go for Yom and Tovim. They had no chance. There was no way for them to have a real business that they could concentrate on. So Levi became poor during the times of the Beis HaMikdash. So Afit Sein Yisrael, they got scattered among Ben Yisrael. That's Shevet Levi. But in Gullus... Shevet Levi started making some money, and Shevet Shimon became the teachers. So Achal came by Yaakov is a reference to Shevet Shimon. You should know that Rabbeinu Ephraim and the Alshech say the exact opposite, that Achal came by Yaakov is really referring to Shevet Levi, and Afitz and Yisrael is referring to Shevet Shimon. Regardless, that's the way the Ksavsover looks at him. Now, let's go on to another subject. Rashi says that he cursed their anger, not them. He didn't want to curse the people. The people, yeah, they did, Shimon and Levi did something wrong, but he wasn't cursing them. I'm sorry? Okay, I get you, right. They're not the Chotim, right? Based on the Gemara and Brachos and Yod. Very good. Right, that's the idea. Rashi says that he didn't curse them. He cursed their anger. Bilaam said because of this, Ma'ekov lo kava el. How could I curse these people? El did not curse them. Now you would think that means God. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't curse them. It doesn't. It means Yaakov. Yaakov is known as El. Yisrael. That's the concept. Ma'akov lo'kava El. How could I curse them if El, if Yaakov didn't curse them? Yaakov never cursed them, he says. Yaakov cursed their anger. Such anger has to be gone from the world. That's what he ended up saying. And Targum really says the exact same thing. I'm not cursing them. I'm cursing their anger. I'm getting rid of them. The Rashbam says, here's what he's telling them. Every time you get angry, Shimon and Levi, you're not going to be matzliach. You won't be successful. If you let your anger rule over, you won't be able to think straight. You won't be able to do anything good. You're going to allow yourself to do revenge. It's going to be carried out. You're going to see it's not going to work. Anytime you get angry and you try to do something, nothing's going to work. That's how the Rashbam puts it. And that's what he's cursing. The anger that anybody has will be cursed. Yes. Ended up losing something by getting angry. Every time Moshe Rabbeinu got angry, he ended up losing a halacha. That's what happens. Anytime somebody gets angry, this is what happens. And it's a result of this curse of Yaakov Avinu. He's not cursing Shimon and Levi. He's cursing the anger <laughs> and anyone that gets angry that they won't be successful. Yeah. Because they had a good reason for being angry? Ha ha. Now, hold on. Rega. The Chizkuni says this was never supposed to be a curse, but a bracha. And this is the idea, that he was cursing the anger, but it was a bracha to Shimon and Levi. The Od Yosef Chai Ben explains it well. He says that their anger is not going to work. They're going to become a calmer people so that the other Shvatim will accept them and let them marry into their families and thus they'll be scattered around properly. If you're an angry person, your whole family is a bunch of angry people and they keep screaming at each other, then nobody's going to want to marry into your family. Nobody's going to have anything to do with you. They're all going to stay away from you as much as they can and they're going to say, well, what do we have to get involved with these angry people for? Now they're going to be ma'uriv in mabrius. They're going to be happy with other people. I had a conversation today with a guy guy came up to me, he asked me something, and I told him, look, I'll, I'll try to see if I can do it. And I went up to this other person, I said, listen, this person wants to know this. The guy started, squ- he's like, you don't understand that guy, you he was so angry about this other person. So I went back to the original person, I told him, listen, I, I don't know what happened, but you really got this guy upset. You got this guy, you got this guy really upset. He, he doesn't even want to talk about you. He doesn't want to speak about you at all. So the guy said, I don't know what I did. I, one time I got angry at him. I, I, that's it. 
You get angry at somebody. If you get angry at somebody, that guy will remember it for quite a while. That person's going to remember it. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It stays there for quite a while. Says the Ben Ishchai. That's what happens. Anger stays. So now that they're going to be blessed to be a calmer people, that your anger is cursed, you should no longer be angry, that help them. And practically speaking, says this phono, it makes sense. If they're scattered all over, who's going to give them a job if they're angry people? Who gives a job to somebody who gets angry like that? If you have less ego and you have less pride, you'll be able to get a job, you'll work on your anger, anger in that way, and then things will be end up going up. That, not only that, if you're reliant on other people for food, can you imagine if a Shola comes to your house, right, knocks on your door, you don't come immediately to the door, and he's like, why didn't you answer the door immediately. Well, you slam it right back on him, right? You just say, like, well, I, don't, I don't need you in my house. The guy's not going to make any money. Can you imagine that guy in Tui McCormick? First of all, those guys are the most chilled out people of all times. Drugs do, do that to you. But I, I, regard, like, if those guys standing there, they're amazing. Do you know how much they get rejected every single day? Not, you just, just stand there in the corner. How many people actually go? And yet every day they're just standing there like in a trance going through asking for money. It's amazing. How are they not angry? Where like a guy opens up his door and he's like, here, take this. I know it's negative seven degrees outside, but take this penny. I think you'll be good with this penny. I would go crazy. I would go absolutely crazy. It's probably why I don't do that for a living. But I, I, I just, I don't understand it. But these guys are calm. There's another reason why I don't do that, but that's one of them, right? It's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. This is the concept. You can't make money if you're an angry person. You won't do it. It won't happen. Nobody will give it to you. And these people are poor. They need to do this. So practically speaking, don't get angry. The Kemotze Shalorov brings down from Yaakov Kamenovich that a teacher needs to have patience and teach with Yishevadas or the child will gain absolutely nothing. He'll remember all of the anger. He'll never remember everything you taught him. That's it. That's what he's going to get. In order to be a proper teacher, and this means of kids, Shimon had to work on his anger and make himself better. So Yaakov was giving him a job. You want to be a better teacher. You want to be somebody who's going to be a teacher in Kalal Yisrael. Like I said, you're going to be that Rebbe, as the Medrash says. You've got to work on your anger. You've got to make sure that your anger is not there. If he's constantly angry, berating all the people that are there, there's no way anything will happen from you. You'll never be able to teach your kid. No child will learn from you. And I don't know if you can go back in your mind. I know from my mind, I can name you two Rebbeim that I have always hated because they always got angry at me in fourth grade, fifth grade. And I was a good little kid. Rafi knows. I was a great little kid. Right? I never did anything wrong. Fourth grade, fifth grade, I remember there were certain Ravam that just got extremely angry at me. And there were other Ravam, no matter what I did, they always were happy with me. A Rebbe that I had in sixth grade, Rebbe Levinson, who's still down in the Dasha never, he's never said a word. Even when he got angry, it was always like a cute anger. And you're always like, oh, it's a cute little anger. Right? It just was different. It was completely different in that way. That's the concept, says the Kamotish. They needed this in order to be the proper people that they became. It was helping him get that job. Now, Orachim agrees that he was cursing their anger. But he says, it's not the anger. And Paul, this gets to your question above. It's not that he was cursing any anger. He was cursing excess anger. When you get too angry. Anger is important. Anger is important. But their excess anger caused them to destroy an entire city and sell Yosef at Tzaddik. That's not cool. That's not what you can let happen. You can't let things get out of hand because of anger. We can't allow that to happen. The Briskorov believed in giving patches to his kids. But he would never do it when he was angry. He would do it later on. Either Motzeh Shabbos or something like that. He'd call the kids in, tell them what they did in the previous week, and then patch them. 
must have hated Motzei Shabbos. <laughs> I guess that's why briskers hold 120 minutes after Shkia, you know? Like that, <laughs> just had to keep pushing it off, like as much as they could. But the brisker rub would only do it not when he was angry. He would do it only when he had calmed down a little bit, and then he would pacha. That's for practical reasons as well. If you're angry and you pacha kid, you're going to really hurt him. If you're not angry and you pacha kid, it's not going to be as hard. I haven't studied this. I'm not a big potcher, right? But nonetheless, it makes sense, right, that that would be that instead of doing it at that time, you do it a little bit later. So the excess anger is wrong. Getting angry is there. I'm sorry? If he puts himself in danger, you're going to hit him hard because at the moment in time because you can hurt yourself if you're not... I don't know if that's a real excuse. Depends on whether you're angry or not. Are you doing it because you're trying to save the kid or you're doing it because you're so angry at your kid for running in the street? Yeah, so it just depends. I, I wouldn't rely on that and say, like, oh, there, I'm only doing it for you, kid. Boom. <laughs> like, I'm not so sure that's always going to work. Yeah, being as a kid, being as a kid, I, I think most of us, most of us were kids at one point. So it, it, when you remember, you remember when your parents, you knew when you thought that it was excess anger or when it was just the normal, you know, that's, I deserved it. There are certain times you deserve it. I bring a dead squirrel in the house and I put it inside a potato chip bag and I leave it in my school bag for three days and I completely forget about it because I want to do surgery on it at some point. Then I get it when my pregnant mom is, looks at it, right, and almost faints with Renan in her stomach, and that makes sense why Renan is the way that he is, right? But like when she almost faints because of it, then it makes a lot of sense that, you know, then I would be poshed, right? My dad came up to me and poshed me. I was like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> like, that, that, like, it was a bad move on my part. I totally get that. But on the other hand, you know, you remember when your father hit you when you weren't supposed to be hit, or he hit you just a little bit extra that you felt was a little bit too much, like taking out that full belt, you know, and using the metal part. That was too much, right? That was too much. We don't have to talk about that. Why is the anger necessary? Why is anger? But we're saying excess anger is bad. But anger is good. Regular anger is good. Why is regular anger good? Says the Orachai Makadosh. The Orachai Makadosh says, without it, you'll never be able to get yourself to do the right thing. You need anger to defeat your Yetzirah. You cannot fight your Yetzirah like this. No. Don't. Please. That won't work. There's no way it's going to work. Yitzhar is going to grab you and it's going to throw you in another position because, of course, that's what you want to do. You have to be strong. You have to be willing to take it on, your convictions and your opinions. You have to go, you can't fail. Then he mentions the idea of the sworn of the Orachim. The only way to cure yourself of this scourge is to exile yourself and get yourself away from the angry place, the angry place that you have in your mind. You can't. You have to, anger is good if used correctly. And if misused, improperly used, getting it too much, that's when it becomes a terrible, terrible plague that doesn't allow you to think, almost like an Obed Avodazaro. That's what he says. Yeah. There is a Rambam. Well, no. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. The Rambam says that every media has to be done bimamutsa, right? In the middle ground, right? I don't remember what he says specifically about anger, but I remember him saying that anger shouldn't be used. I don't remember the exact wording. We'd have to look it up. Right? I, I don't remember what it says. In Hilchus Deus Parvath Harak Bez or something like that. We'd have to look it up. But nonetheless, this idea of anger being used, but not overused, is something like that. We know HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets angry for that one second a day. Right? That's the Gemara and Brachos, above, right? He gets angry for one second. So what happens? Like that one second, he's like, and then he's done? Like then it's all gone? What does that mean? What does it mean? It means HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows there needs to be anger in the world. And if all Midos stem from him, he needs to bring <laughs> anger in the world for people to be able to overcome what their Yitzhar or their Taivas want them to do. So he does it, he puts it in the world, and then he takes it away. That's the concept, that's the idea he says over here. The Yalk, okay, th- there's another thing. The Tambida says uh, in Yaakov that 
he was afraid that their anger would start, start tremendous machlokas in Klal Yisrael. If they were Choshev of Balabatim, if Shimon was rich, wealthy people, they were Balabatim, and they were prone to anger, and they got angry often, you can imagine. It's one thing when the guy on Tui McCormick starts yelling at a car. It doesn't really mean much. What's going to happen? But if it's a Choshev of Balabas that cannot get over his anger, and he's a guy who's paying for shoals, what's going to happen? He's going to leave the shoal and take all his money with him. He's going to angry just about one little thing, and then all of a sudden he's gone. We can't have that. So Shimon was purposely made poor in order to make sure that he wouldn't be this angry person. And maybe if he worked on his anger, he'd be able to get his money back. Maybe it was sort of like one's based on the other, right? That's the concept, says the Tamadas. Now, the Torah Shlema says there's a Gemara. I don't know if you remember this Gemara. Moed Katan, Daf Tesemanal, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon went to go get a bracha. It's a great Gemara. Rabbi Yonasim ben Amram, Rabbi Yehuda ben Gerim. Anybody remember Rabbi Yehuda ben Gerim? Anybody know where he comes up in play? Very good. In the Lagba Omer story, he's the one that told the Ro- or not the Romans, but he started speaking about what Shem Bar-Yachai said about the Romans. Told everyone, right? In the end, Roshim Bar-Yachai killed him. Okay? What we don't know is Rabbi Yehuda Megarim is a Rebbe. He's Choshev. Tosus over there in Lamed Gimel of Bezim Shabbos says, you should know he's a Rebbe, Yehuda Megarim. He's not a nobody. He's a Rebbe. Yehuda Megarim and Rabbi Yonis, Rabbi Yehuda Megarim, Rabbi Yonis and Ben Amram were both learning by Roshim Bar Yochai. They were leaving Roshim Bar Yochai to go off on their own, do something else, whatever it is, before Roshim Bar Yochai killed them. Right? And they were going off on their own to go learn or whatever it is. And Rabbi Shimon turned to his son and said, these guys are not human beings. You have to go to them and go get a bracha. Go to them to get a bracha. And they go to him to go get a bracha, and they tell him the craziest things. You should plant, but you shouldn't grow anything. You should end up leaving your house and not go into a house. It's all these crazy things. You should have children, but not see them. All these crazy things. So Rabbi Elizabeth Shimon heard all these curses that they were telling him. Right? He went back to his father. His father said, what did he tell you? He said, they, he cursed me. They cursed me. They cursed me. They didn't give me any brachas. They cursed me. Rabbi Yochai said, what did, they tell you? what did they tell you? He said to Rabbi Elizabeth Shimon. Rabbi Elizabeth Shimon answered, this is what they told me. And he said, you're misunderstanding. They worded the bracha in the form of a curse. You should plant and not have means, really, you should have tons of children. You should have children, but you shouldn't see. That means you should have daughters that you marry off to Choshev people in other cities. He was giving you tons of brachos. These two people, Rabbi Yonis and Rabbi Yonis ben were giving you tons of brachos. They were just wording it in the form of a curse. So what's pshat? Why would they word a bracha in the form of a curse? Why would you do that? So... This answer that the Torah Shlema uses from the Eitz Yosef and the Ein Yaakov answers our Pusik as well. Why did Yaakov say, even if you are cursing their anger, this is their bracha. Why are you wording their bracha in the form of a curse? Why would you do it that way? It's such a silly thing to do. Word it as something good. Why would you do it this way? And the answer now is obvious. The purpose of what they were doing is because when a person gets a bracha, anybody who ends up getting a bracha, what ends up happening? You hear the bracha, and the mekatrigim, the accusers up in Shemaim, they also hear the bracha. The mekatrigim up above, they start yelling down, and they say, does this guy deserve that? Does this guy really deserve what you're trying to give him? You're saying this, and you're saying that. You think he deserves that? He doesn't deserve that bracha, and he doesn't deserve this bracha. There's no way he deserves it. But if you word it as a curse... But really, it means a bracha. My intention is to bless the guy. But I'm wording it in a way that could be used in both ways. So it sounds like a curse, but it's really a bracha. No mekatrigan. There's no accusers. The accusing angels don't get involved. They don't do anything. And all of a sudden, the guy gets to keep his bracha. Yaakov Avinu purposely, according to that Eitz Yosef in that Gemara, Yaakov Avinu purposely gave the bracha in such a form. Hold on one second, Jake. But he gave the bracha in such a form where it sounded like a curse. 
but it was really a bracha, telling them this is how you'll succeed by getting rid of your anger. If you do this, you're going to be, you're going to be successful. If you do this, everything will turn out well. He worded it in such a way, says the Eitz Yosef, in order to make sure that they all understood and they all knew this was the bracha that they were getting, Shimon and Levi, and no Mekatrigim were getting involved. If he got up and he said, Shimon and Levi should never have anger, to which the Mekatrigim up above, the accusers up above would say, what? They, they deserve to have anger. Look at what they did. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Yaakov you know, worded the bracha in such a way that it wouldn't happen that way. That's the concept over here. What are you going to say, Jacob? It may mean something different. Yes. You are correct. A tefillah cannot be worded in such a way. And the pshat is, al tiftach piv l'satan. Don't open your mouth to the satan. You have to be an expert in how to do this correctly. Where you're saying something, and it means something, but you can figure out very well what it means as long as you're a Talmud Chacham. I don't know if anybody should use this specifically. Rabbi Yonis and Amram, Yudah ben Gerim, they could use this. Yaakov Vinu was able to use it. I don't know if I would be able to start blessing people and just say like, oh, you should be zilchah and never have children ever. What I meant was, <laughs> that's not a good bracha. I don't think that should be ever done by somebody like us. Only somebody who truly knows how to use it should use it. It's a great question. Can you daven this way? No. Should you give brachas this way? No. But great tell me the Chacham can, and they did. Yeah, Paul. So I don't understand. So what about when Yitzchak uh, gave Asa the bracha? Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a bracha. But it, and it made him angry. You know, I, that's a great call also. I was thinking that way with Avram Vino as well. When they gave brachos, it seems very clearly that it was a direct bracha that worked. So you can answer one of two ways. Maybe they deserved the bracha directly. Shimon and Levi still had accusations against them. Maybe Yitzchak felt that Yaakov and Esav didn't have to worry about accusations. We know Esav had to worry about those Mekadragim. But maybe Yitzchak felt they didn't, and therefore he worded the bracha in a straight-out fashion. Look, Yaakov himself, all the other brachas he gave after Reuben, Shimon, and Levi... All the other brachas were straight out brachos. Straight out brachos. They weren't worded differently or worded as a curse. Every single one was good, probably because they didn't have mekatrigim. So I would assume it's normal to give with meka- w- w- in the normal way, blessed in the normal way. In certain instances, you may have to word it in a different fashion in order to get the bracha through. Yeah. I thought only accused when there's a time of need. So if someone's- no, 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 no. are all the time. I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah, Makachigam are all the time, everywhere. And also, I mean, isn't this kind of a weird way? What are you tricking the Makachigam? They don't understand what they're saying? Do you understand what it means to not blow the shofar in Ever Roshana because yeah, the Satan doesn't yeah, go through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Gemara. I, mean, I heard that that's not really what we're Whatever Svara you're going to use for that, use for here. Whatever Svara you use to trick the Makachigam, which happens, you trick the Satan somehow, this is tricking the Satan. Otherwise, there's no point. Well, if I can't fool the Satan, then what's the point? The Satan's always going to get me. The point, there must be a way of tricking them because they'll help us find that way. That's the idea behind it. Yes, Jake? Because of Tamar? Tshuva. Remember, he did tshuva constantly for what happened to Tamar. Who caused Ruvain to do tshuva? Yehuda. Right? That's the idea behind it. Yehuda did tshuva immediately. He immediately got up and said, Chotasi, I did the wrong thing. Look what I did. So I think that's the reason why. Yeah, that's exactly what the Gemara says. Mi goram l'ruven shiyode Yehuda. Now, although, I'm going to say very quickly, the Gemara, this is the Gemara Makos and Dav Yud Aleph Amad Aleph. Although Ruven definitely was fasting and moved away, remember that was one of the two reasons why he wasn't with the Shvatim at the sale of Yosef? Although that happened, he was doing it privately. He never publicly admitted his wrongdoing until after Yehuda. That's the shot over there for Makos Yud Aleph. That's the idea. All right, anyway, guys, that's the Torah Shlema. Now, what was it that caused Shimon and Levi to have this trade over anybody else? 
else. I don't know about Shimon exactly. I'm going to answer for Levi. The Chavetz Chaim took this very seriously. He held, and we know this, right? Kohanim get more angry than other people do. Kohanim get more angry. Do we have a coin here? No, we don't. Red hairs. I know, thank God. So I only have the red beard, so I don't get as angry. But the Kohanim, that's a good call. No, 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 that's interesting, because Levi should have it as well. But the Chavetz Chaim used to berate himself often. And his, t- his sons, his grandchildren, would hear him quite often. They would hear him yelling at himself, stop getting, your- getting angry. He would yell at himself that he couldn't do it. His family used to say when he would lower his voice to just above a whisper, that meant it's because he was angry and was working on himself as a Kohen to not allow himself to get angry. That's happened. So there was a time in Russia where there- the government had decided that every yeshiva had to learn Russian for a half an hour a day. Half an hour every day, every single school had to learn Russian. That was hard. Many yeshivas back then did not learn any other subject, let alone Russian. They, did, they just didn't do it. So Chaim Brisker and the Chavetz Chaim held that you should shut down every yeshiva. There shouldn't be a yeshiva if they're going to learn Russian for a half an hour a day. And I know that sounds anathemic to everybody here because that's not the world that we live in. But the Chavetz Chaim or Chaim Brisker said, shut down every yeshiva. We're taking down every yeshiva. We're not going to listen to the edict. We're not going to do it. The Or Sameach, Rameir Simchov Dvinsk, Paskin that every yeshiva should stay open, make a half an hour, and make sure that it was a Rebbe that was teaching the Russian language. Right? A Rebbe should be teaching that Russian language. That was how the Orsamech. And to us, again, we think more like the Orsamech because we're messed up. This is the Chavetz Chaim, the Rechaim Brisker. That's Rameir Simcha. Right? They, all, they each had their own das. So the Rechaim Brisker and the Chavetz Chaim got up to go visit the Orsamech, who was older than them. I believe he was older than both of them, if I remember correctly. He was the Orsamech. And they went to him to go discuss the issue. So they sat down, they talked about other things, and they came to this edict. And the Chavetz Chaim, the Briskorov, said to him, and Chaim Brisker, I'm sorry, said to him why they thought that it shouldn't be there. And the Or Sameach repeated his, his opinion. Then the Chavetz Chaim came with another answer. He said, but, don't you believe? And as soon as he started saying it, the Or Sameach got up and left the room. So Chaim Brisker was offended. He said, oh, he's getting up and leaving? Oh, what's he getting up and leaving for? The Chavetz Chaim said, I understand it. The Or Sameach was a Kohen. Rechaim Brisker was only a Levi. Chavetz Chaim himself was a Kohen, right? He said, the Orsameach is a Kohen. He saw himself getting angry. He didn't want to get angry. So he got up and left the room before he got angry. That's it. Chavetz Chaim was using this to look at people to understand why people would do something like this. He got up for that reason. He felt the anger coming up. He held that it was exactly just that. that that's the idea of what it was over here. The Kliyakar also brings up this whole idea of what it af and oh, as the word brazen refers to the af the front of the face. Kasha refers to the oref, the back of the neck. We always hear that the Jews are a stiff-necked people. You've heard that before, right? Kshe oref, because the word kasha refers to the evrasam. Evrasam ki kasha. Uz refers to the afa, because the af, the front of the face, is where you have brazenness, brazenness on the forehead, so to speak. A brazen person is a stubborn person. But when you have somebody who's also stiff-necked, he's stubborn, right? and brazen together, he's stubborn for being that, and brazen as well, you get both of those meters together, there's nothing worse than such a person. Now, Jews are both. We are an Am Kshayorath, and we're Azim. The Gemara in Beitza says in Daf Chafeyom Abeis, there are three Azim in the world, one of them are Jews. We are 100% brazen. We have unreal chutzpah. Unreal chutzpah. Unbelievable. All you have to do is go look at Reform Judaism. We have unbelievable chutzpah. And you have that. You have that. I would go with conservative as well. I would go with, 
I, I don't even think they're Jews. Whatever they are, right? you know, whatever. They're like, just anybody else. This is such unbelievable brazenness. Like, not only are they going to take it away, we're calling ourselves the real Jews, and we're going to call ourselves rabbis. Rabbis, against everything that we stand for. But they get up and they're like, no, we're the real rabbis, and we're the ones who do it. What in the world? Guys, honestly, how many times do we have to go through and we're only Jews would every Rosh Chodesh take a state Torah with a bunch of women and try to go to the Kotel? Only Jews would do this. Uh, only Jews. It's, there's no one else like this. No one else. Think of it. The non-from Christians are not like rushing into church saying, we want to pray our way. <laughs> no. Nobody's doing that. There are not non-from Muslims who are forcing themselves into the imams and the mosques and saying, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it our way. Nobody. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody would do that. Think about it. Any other, like, I don't know, you can't do it with atheists because they're not going to pray. So I, I don't even know how to do it. But for some reason, it's Jews who are like, no, we're right. We're right. But you know what I'm saying? You're a deviation from 200 years ago, right, from the proper path. You deviated Right? And you're doing something that's against everything we've held traditionally. But I'm right. And I want to pray my way. And you can't make me not pray my way. Dude. <laughs> you want me to say? Not only that, we don't believe in your holy site, but we want to daven there. Bidafka. Bidafka, because you're davening there, I'm going to daven there. Even though I don't even believe that that's a holy site. Come on! Seriously? That's what you want to do? It's ridiculous. They don't believe in the base of Mikdash. They don't believe it existed. They don't believe it's real. And they're sitting there saying, but we have to daven here because you're davening here. Only a Jew. There is no one else in the world that would do it. Only Jews. So we're brazen. We're stiff-necked. We won't back down. That's what we are. That's who we are. By the way, I've, I've never understood how nobody's seen this. You don't see it in any other religion. It's crazy. You really don't. Nowhere else do you see such a thing. It's only us. Because we're crazy. We are absolutely crazy. Not just because of Kiddush Lavana and the fact that we like to filter fish. And for all the other Estrog and Lula things that we do, it's this. It's how crazy we are. How we're so willing. We're saying that we're the absolute there. Says the Kliakar. Of course this can be used in a good way. Uz kanomer. You have to be brazen as a leopard. What does it mean to be brazen as a leopard? I'm willing to do anything in front of anyone. And there are Jews who even at the time of death are willing to give up any, their lives for mitzvot, for even, what does the Gemara say? Even if your shoelaces, right, are a little bit off. You're willing to give up your shoelace. You're willing to give up your life for a shoelace. For a shoelace. We're willing to give up our lives. That's one way of using it in the proper way. And the other way, Shevet Levi was supposed to be by the times of the Mishkan and the Beis Mikdash. If these people excelled in these Midos, that they used their anger properly, they used their brazenness and their stiff-neckedness in the proper way, well, look what they can do with it. They taught Klal Yisrael how to do this. And it could be, according to this idea of the Kliyakar, it could be Shimon and Levi were never teachers. They never went through all Klal Yisrael teaching. I don't know, maybe they were, maybe they were. But the point is, they were teachers in the fact that if they were the most brazen and the most stiff-necked and the most angry, they taught Klal Yisrael how to act in the proper fashion. Sometimes it got messed up, like by Shittim, and they started sinning. But for the most part, they were teachers because they were the loudest, the ones who stood up the most, the ones who did the most. And in that sense... Cursed is the excess anger, like the Orachayim says, but using it properly, look what we can learn from them. How great could they possibly be? Rip Hirsch and Rip Victor Miller says that this was all going through trying to understand why they didn't become leaders. Why didn't Reuben become a leader? Too impetuous. Pachas Kamayim, we talked about that last year. Why didn't Shimon and Levi become leaders? What happened to them? And the answer is, what they're saying over here is that they couldn't be leaders because they have a fault. 
A king with anger and stubbornness is terrible for the people. Even if they try to use it for the common good, it doesn't bode well for the people when you have an angry and stubborn king. They had the spirit and the attitude that's necessary to be a leader. That's what Shimon and Levi needs. To be a king, you need to have that spirit. You need to have that attitude that Shimon and Levi had. But the, the idea, the methods that they held were reprehensible. You couldn't do it in that way. That's the idea. They can't jeopardize the Jewish nation standing in the eyes of the world just because they feel it has to be this way and has to go that way. That's the idea of what we're cursing over here. Truth is, among the other nations of the world, any action can be considered legitimate if it's done for the welfare of the state. If a person gets up and acts for the sake of the country, right, and he does it for the country, then he's considered a hero. By us, that's wrong. You can't do that. You can't say, well, I'm acting for the welfare of the state by acting in a way that might be a little bit cruel. That's not what we hold. We hold that it's got to be done in the best possible manner, aside from being good for everybody. It's got to be both, says Hirsch and Victor Miller. Therefore, when we're flourishing, they cannot be involved. Shimon and Levi cannot be at the forefront. They cannot be the people in charge. They're put down and they're scattered and made poor, says Hirsch, in order to so we don't have to worry about their voice. But in Gullus... Shimon and Levi come to the forefront. Shimon and Levi, when we're, we're scattered throughout Gullus, they come to the forefront because their brazenness and their stubbornness show us what to do in a world where everyone is against us. That way they're there. So when are Shimon and Levi leaders? They are leaders when we're in Gullus. They are not leaders. They're put down and they're poor when we're in the Gula. We're in Eretz Yisrael. Yeah. Well, that's Mi Hashem Elai. is a perfect example. When you're in the midboard, you'll have a guy like Levi who's able to be in charge. Now, the Shimon, some, yeah. The Shimon and Levi, when they killed out Shimon, did they do it out of anger or did they do it out of good reason? That's literally our next part. Okay, the Sam Sober says you need that anger. Without anger, they wouldn't have killed Shem. They wouldn't have gotten Dina back. They wouldn't have gotten Dina back. Now, again, excess anger, but not so. So here's the shot. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky asks over here. He said, again, we talked about angry people. These people are angry people. You want an angry person to be your Rebbe? You want an angry person to be the rabbi? How do we, we spoke about Rav Yaakov Kamenovich. Why would this be it? He said, Rav Yaakov Anetsky says, he saw something in Shimon and Levi that the other Shvatim didn't have, what a teacher needs more than anything else. A teacher needs to be Moser Nefesh for his students, to be willing to give up everything that he has that's good and what he has that he likes in order to give to someone else. Shimon and Levi defined Mesiris Nefesh by willing to fight for their lives in order to save Dina. They were willing to kill out an entire city. Granted, it came from anger. It stemmed from anger. It stemmed from their azus, their brazenness. Says Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, but this is what a teacher is. Willing to be Moser Nefesh for the Klal. No one else was willing to do that. No other Sheba was willing to do that. Shimon and Levi did. They showed that they were able to do it. But you got to keep going with this. Said Yaakov, I want you guys to use this meter properly. Use this again, but use it in a proper fashion next time. He heard what happened by Dina. He argued with them, and he said, how could you do this? And they said, should our sister be like a Zona? You're going to allow our sister to be like a Zona. Yaakov had the final say here. He looked back at them and said, I understand you, but understand this is going to happen again. And there's going to be anger and brazenness that's going to come up again. Use it properly, don't use it in the bad way. And when was that? At the end of the 40 years, by Zimri and Pinchas. Zimri was from Shevet, Shimon. And Pinchas is from Shevet. You have two people that were brazen. Shimon goes up to Moshe, grabs Kuzbi by the hair, says, Mutur Rasser, because you married a woman that was from Midian, so why can't I marry a Midianite princess? And then grabbed her and did what he did with her in the tent. Pinchas showed a different type of brazenness, brazenness in the right way, to kill Kanoyan Poginbo, to kill Zimri with the spear because of the way that he was acting. Two types of brazenness. 
One was evil or for an evil purpose, and one was for the right purpose. Levi learned the lessons of Yaakov Kamenetsky, and they became a main shavit of Klau Yisrael that became Kohanim. Mila Shemelai was another example, as you just said before, that they were willing to fight along with Moshe Rabbeinu. The Hashmonayim is another example. We were willing to fight and be Moser Nefesh. That's what Levi learned. Shimon was lost. Shimon we lost throughout the annals of time. Maybe a couple of them were interspersed within Yehuda and Binyamin, so we keep a few of them, but otherwise they're lost. They had no identity then, they had no land then, and now they're gone. Now we don't have it, because their anger seems to have been a different type of anger, a real anger. And that, HaKadosh Baruch says, I don't want that in Kala Yisrael. That I don't want. There's no hadracha there, says Yaakov. There's no limits to such anger. If you have no hadracha in your anger, if you don't know how to use your anger, if you're not being magdir by the Torah laws that are there, then Shimon's anger is just out there. I can't let that be. That can't happen. What's up? Extremely. Yes, but it does take quite a bit to be able to get up and kill at least 750 people, if not 24,000. That takes a lot. So even if it was cold and calculated, it takes a real lot to get up and do that. You've got to get yourself psyched up for that. I don't know if it's like, you know, like wrestler or boxer psyched up. It was at least three days. Three days before it happened. Yes. Which they might have been psyching themselves up for it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like getting themselves into it. I hear what you're saying there, Jake. It is a good call. Like you'd think that this wasn't, they might have felt that it was, it was, it was calculated. So therefore it shouldn't have been out of anger. HaKadosh Baruch was telling us it was out of anger. That they were wrong about themselves. They were judging themselves probably the way you're, you're saying it right now. Look, we didn't do it out of anger. We sat down, we thought about it, we said, this is what we got to do, so we did it. Says the Kaddish Baruch, I hear you, you're wrong. It's out of anger. And that's the, re- that's the reason why you got with this. So they shouldn't have done it in the first place. They should have done it in the way that Yaakovina was doing it. Yaakovina was silent. Yaakovina was silent and eventually would have gotten Dina back. Shemin and Levi, Shemin and Levi were a little too quick, a little too much. A little too much. So yes, they should have waited the way Yaakovino did, or let Yaakovino make the decision for them, instead of them making it on their own. Yeah. After three days, you're supposed to wait three days, then you can make a rational decision. Mm-hmm. Did yes, but they were wrong. They still thought. They thought they had understood it. They thought they had gotten it. But Akash Baruch was telling them, it's not. It's anger. You might have thought it. You were wrong. It didn't happen that way. Um, I'm sorry? I don't. But we talked about those midrashim last week. Oh, you weren't here. Yeah. That's the reason why. Oh, oh man. no, totally different. Rabbi Yitzchak Zilbershin talks about this as well. I, I'm just going to end off with a story. Okay, I heard this story at the Gura Convention. It's what something Rabbi Yitzchak Zilbershin brings up as well. There, not this exact story. There was a man in Libya whose child was forced to go to school on Shabbos. It was an edict punishable by jail time. If you did not go to school on Saturday. Even Jewish kids, right? You were punishable. It was punishable by jail time. The man took his, school to, took his kid to school on Friday and approached his son's teacher to offer him a book. He wanted to give him a book. So he went up to the teacher and he said, please, I want to give you a book. The teacher took the book. The next day, his son didn't have to do anything in school at all. Saturday, he didn't have to do anything in school on Shabbos. So the kid didn't know why. The teacher didn't make him write anything, be machal Shabbos at all. A month later, his father came again and said, I want to give you another book. Like to give you a book. He gave a book to the teacher again. And again, on Shabbos, the same thing. For the next month, he didn't have anything to do on Shabbos. He, although he had to come to school, he didn't have to do anything in school itself. Only years later, only years later, did the child realize what had happened. It was illegal to bribe any teacher. You couldn't bribe anyone. So what do you do? Took a book, cut out the entire inside, put in a stash of money. And then he gave the book to the teacher. 
the teacher eventually obviously opened up the book, saw the cash, and decided it's worth his time and money to not let this kid work on Shabbos. And the guy kept coming back month after month giving it. That's the mysterious nefesh that you need in order to teach a kid. That's the concept of what Shimon and Levi... Levi learned that lesson, although Shimon may not have learned it completely. The idea of what a person did, the mysterious nefesh of that father, that kid could never break Shabbos. He was an Amaretz when he grew up. Total Amaretz. But he could never break Shabbos for the amount of mysterious nefesh that his father had in order for him not to break Shabbos when he was a kid. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a